part one chapters thirteen and fourteen of bessie's fortune by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain thirteen facing it on the table beside them lay the watch the leathern bag and the box which had belonged to the deceased in the bag there were several hundred dollars in twenty ten and five dollar gold pieces and in the box which hannah unlocked there were some papers and tied together with a faded ribbon was a lock of dark brown hair a bit of purple heather a few english violets and some leaves of ivy while on the paper in which they were wrapped was the date of a summer day many many years ago when the dead man was young whatever might have been the romance of which this souvenir was the sign it was buried forever with the past and hannah put it back in the box as carefully and tenderly as if it were the hand of the woman on whose head that brown tress once grew the next thing which met the view was a picture painted on ivory of a young girl who might have been sixteen or eighteen years of age and whose face was so beautiful that hannah uttered an exclamation of surprise as she held it to the light and examined it closely the dress was old-fashioned and such as would indicate that the wearer belonged to the middle rather than the wealthy class but hannah did not think of that so absorbed was she in the beauty of the fresh young face and the expression of the large blue eyes which seemed to look at her so intently the dark brown tress so carefully wrapped in paper and bearing the scent of english violets and heather blossoms could never have grown on this girl's head for the wavy hair which fell in such masses upon her neck was of that peculiar shade of gold dashed with red seldom seen in america and which latterly has become so fashionable that where nature fails to produce it art has been called into requisition and achieved most wonderful success oh how lovely she is hannah said showing the picture to her father this must be his sister the elizabeth he was so fond of he said once she was many years younger than himself and very beautiful i do not wonder he loved her the bundle of papers was next examined and found to contain a few receipts for monies paid in england and america and the will of the deceased executed some months before and in which he gave everything he possessed to his beloved and only sister elizabeth her heirs and assigns for ever father hannah said with a trembling voice as she finished reading aloud this will i am sure that this is his sister's picture and we have a duty to do we must find elizabeth rogers and put her in possession of her own this gold in the box and whatever else he may have owned in wales he spoke of shares in some mines or quarries these all belong to his sister and we must not defraud her those blue eyes would haunt me for ever what shall we do she was looking earnestly at her father over whose face there came a sudden pallor and a hard bitter expression as he answered her find her of course advertise go to wales if necessary in search of her or get a lawyer to do it break your vow tell the whole truth as you would have to in order to establish his death and get me hanged that would be the result of restitution oh father hannah cried in terror is there no other way if i find this woman and give her her own must i tell her the whole truth will it not be enough if i say he is dead that i saw him die that i helped to lay him in his coffin i would not mention you or that i had a father surely she would be satisfied yes she might but not the law i do not understand the ins and outs myself there are so many questions necessary to make a thing legal but this i am sure of the whole thing would be ripped up and i hanged as i told you no hannah you cannot find this woman while i live which please god may not be long 
when i am gone find her if you like but you must shield me remember your vow and-and swear again not to move in the matter while i live he was growing so excited with this new fear that his daughter shrank from him in alarm and at last yielding to his importunities took another oath of secrecy which doomed the blue-eyed woman in wales to a life of poverty if such now were her portion but what shall we do with this money hannah asked and her father replied keep it until you can restore it to its rightful owner without harm to me elizabeth may never get it but her heirs some child yet unborn may be made rich by you one day who knows yes some child then unborn might one day be richer for this crime but that did not comfort hannah now and the future held no gleam of hope or happiness for her as she put the papers and the watch and the gold and the portrait together in the tin box and tried to think where she could hide them owing to the storm and the depth of the snow no one visited the lonely farmhouse until the monday following the tragedy when a neighbour came breaking through the drifts to see how it fared with peter who tried to appear natural as he talked of the depth of the snow and inquired for the news and mentally anathematized the dog rover who the moment the stranger appeared stretched himself before the bedroom door with a keen watchful look in his eyes as if he were on the alert and guarding the terrible secret and this habit commenced that morning was continued by the faithful creature up to the day of his death which happened several years later no matter where he was whether chasing a rabbit through the woods or sleeping by the stable door he seemed by some instinct to know when a visitor arrived and hastened at once to his post from which neither threats nor persuasions could dislodge him for hannah tried both but when she coaxed he whined and whisked his big tail on the floor and when she threatened he growled and showed his teeth but stayed there just the same the monday night following the tragedy hannah was stricken down with a low nervous fever which lasted for weeks and from which she arose the mere shadow of her former self all life and vivacity had left her and instead of a girl of fifteen she seemed like a woman of twenty-five so quiet and reserved she became with no colour in her cheeks no elasticity in her step no joy in her voice no brightness anywhere except in her large dark eyes which shone with unusual brilliancy and had in them always a look which puzzled and fascinated her friends who little dreamed of what those strangely bright beautiful eyes saw constantly before them whether sleeping or waking the picture was always there of the dead man on the floor with the blood-stains on his face and she felt the touch of the clammy hands which she had folded upon his breast she could not go to school again for in her morbid state of mind to study was impossible and so she stayed at home brooding over the past and shrinking from the future with no companionship except that of rover who seemed so fully to understand and sympathize with her oftentimes when her work for the day was done and she sat down listlessly upon a little seat beneath the apple-tree which grew in the yard the dog would go to her and putting his head in her lap gaze into her face with such a human look of pity in his eyes that her tears would fall like rain as she wound her arms around his neck and sobbed oh dear old rover you know and you are sorry for me what should i do without you what shall i do when you are gone and the white lips would frame a prayer that rover might be spared to her long for without him life would be intolerable and yet hannah had no foolish fancies filled though the house was with the image of the dead man she did not believe in ghosts and had no fear that the occupant of the hidden grave beneath the floor would come back to trouble her 
it was rather the horror of the crime the sin which so oppressed her filling her with the wildest fancies and making her see always the dreadful word murder written everywhere upon the walls and the blood-stains on the floor where no trace was visible to other eyes than hers sometimes in the dark night in her lonely bed beneath the roof with the stars looking in upon her she felt as if her brain were on fire and that she was going mad with the load of anguish and guilt for she accused herself as equally guilty with her father inasmuch as she had witnessed the deed and was helping him to conceal it but god knows i cannot help it i am bound with bonds i cannot break she would cry as she stretched her hands toward heaven in dumb supplication for pardon and peace which came at last to the troubled spirit and though she never knew again the joy of youth which had left her for ever there came to her long intervals of rest and quiet and comparative peace if not happiness and when three years after the tragedy which had blighted her young life she with others of her companions ratified her baptismal vows and openly confessed christ he who sees and knows the secrets of all hearts knew that among those who knelt to receive the rite of confirmation there was not one purer or more sincere than she who thought herself the vilest of the vile naturally as time rolled on and the peddler rogers came no more to allington inquiries were made for him the people wondering if he intended remaining in wales the remainder of his life or would he appear in their midst again some day with his balbriggans and irish linens but as he had never been more to the citizens than a peddler of dry goods he was soon forgotten and peter gerald's secret was safe under the floor and the tin box with the gold and the will was safe in the niche of the huge chimney where hannah had hidden it until such time as it could be given into the hands of the rightful owner for this hannah fully intended doing how or when or by what agency she could not tell but some time in the future restitution would be made either to elizabeth or her heirs she had calculated the interest on the money and resolved yearly to lay by that amount for the benefit of the roger heirs everything pertaining to carnarvon she read up knowing perfectly its history where it was situated how to reach it and almost fancying that she knew the very house where the peddler had lived and where possibly elizabeth was still living and some day she would find the place and give up the money and will and tell as much of the past as was necessary to tell but no more and with this end in view she lived her dreary monotonous life which knew no change except on the rare intervals when her young brother burton came up from boston to spend a few days with the father and sister from whom he was growing estranged so fast for between them and himself there was nothing common and he was always glad when his short visit was over and he was free to return to the life more in accordance with his taste than that at the farmhouse when rover died several years after the tragedy of which he was a witness hannah felt that she had lost all that made life endurable and mourned for him as for a human friend with all the faithful sagacity of his race the noble brute had clung to her seldom quitting her side and frequently when her heart was saddest and she was weeping by herself licking her face and hair and uttering a kind of low cry as if he understood her perfectly and when at last he died it was with his head in her lap and her tears falling upon his shaggy face even to the last he was faithful to the charge he had so long assumed a neighbor had come into the kitchen and dragging himself from the mat on which he was lying rover crawled to the door of the bedroom and stretched himself in front of it while in the dying eyes lifted to hannah's face there was an expression of unutterable love and regret for the mistress he was leaving forever when the visitor left the house hannah tried to coax the dog back to his mat near the stove but he was too weak to move 
and so she placed a blanket under him and kneeling by his side put his head in her lap and held it there until he ceased to breathe after his death there was nothing to relieve the tedium of hannah's life but for her trust in god her reason must have given way under the strain for it was not only her own sorrow but her father's as well which she had to bear with him there was no rest day or night and every breath was a prayer for mercy and forgiveness at first he was continually haunted with a fear of detection and frequently in the night he would steal noiselessly to hannah's room and awakening her with a whisper tell her there were men about the house come to arrest him and charge her with having broken her oath and betrayed him into the hands of the law every possible precaution against a surprise was taken iron bolts were put on the doors the windows were nailed down and the house was never for an hour left alone the people said the man was deranged and pitied the young girl who from daily association with him was becoming almost as peculiar as himself after a few years the aged pastor who had so long officiated in the stone church on the common died and the rev charles sanford fresh from the theological cemetery was called to take his place full of energy and zeal in his work the young rector soon made himself acquainted with all his parishioners and seemed to find a peculiar attraction in the inmates of the farmhouse where he spent a great deal of time arguing with the father on the nature of the unpardonable sin and answering the many questions his host propounded to him upon the subject of genuine repentance and its fruits and how far confession to man was necessary that one might be saved to these discourses hannah was always an attentive listener and there came gradually a new light into her dark eyes and a faint colour to her white cheeks when she saw the rector coming up the walk and met his winning smile but all this was ended at last for after a night in june when she walked with the young clergyman through the pasture land under the row of chestnut trees which grew upon the hillside he came less frequently to the farmhouse and when he did come his discourse was mostly with her father whom he was labouring to convince that it was his duty to be confirmed but peter always answered him no you don't know what you ask i am too vile too great a sinner for that the very stones would cry out against me the clergyman thought him crazy and after a time abandoned the effort and went but seldom to the farmhouse where hannah had again entered the dark cloud in which his coming had made a rift and which now seemed darker than ever because of the momentary brightness which had been thrown upon it she too had laboured with her father as mr sandford had done telling him of the peace which was sure to follow a duty performed but he answered her never child never for don't you see i must first confess and that is to put the halter around my neck they would hang me now sure for the concealment if for nothing more it might have been better if i had told at first as you advised i believe now they would have been lenient toward me a few years in prison perhaps and then freedom the rest of my life oh if i had done it but now it is forever too late god may forgive me i think he will but i can never join his church with this crime on my soul after this hannah said no more to him upon the subject but bent all her energies to soothe and rid him of the morbid half-crazy fancies which had taken possession of him and so the wretched years went on until peter gerald had numbered more than threescore years and ten and suffered enough to atone many times for crimes far more heinous than this had been but nature at last could endure no more and on the thanksgiving night thirty-one years after the event which had blighted his life he felt that he was dying and insisted upon confessing his sin not only to his son but also to his clergyman who had been his friend and spiritual adviser for so many years i shall die so much easier 
he said to hannah who sent for them both and then with her arm around her father held him against her bosom while he told in substance and with frequent pauses for breath the story we have narrated fourteen the effect of the story after the first great shock of surprise when the word murderer dropped from his lips and he reproached his sister so harshly and unreasonably burton gerald stood with folded arms and a gloomy unsympathetic face as immovable at first as if he had been a stone and listened to the tale as repeated by his father but when the tragic part was reached and he saw the dead man on the floor his sister crouching in the corner of the room with rover at her side the rude coffin the open grave and the secret midnight burial his breath came in long shuddering gasps and the perspiration stood in great drops upon his forehead and about his pallid lips and when his father said i buried him here in this room under this bed where i have slept ever since and he is there now he started backward as suddenly as if the ghost of the peddler had risen from the floor and confronted him then staggering forward he would have fallen if mr sandford had not caught him by the arm and supported him a moment bringing him a chair the clergyman said to him pityingly sit down mr gerald and try to compose yourself you are not in fault no one can blame you no no i know it but it hurts me just the same the disgrace i can never be happy again oh hannah why did you let him tell me i cannot bear it i cannot the wretched burton moaned and his father replied your sister has borne it for thirty-one years are you less brave than she i don't know yes i believe i am i have more at stake than she our positions are not the same there is geraldine and gray i can never look them in the face again knowing what i know burton cried impetuously and covering his face with his hands he sobbed as strong men never sob save when some terrible storm which they feel themselves inadequate to meet is beating pitilessly upon them oh brother hannah said in her soft entreating voice this is worse than all the rest don't take it so hard it is not so bad as you think you will not be disgraced geraldine will never know the world will never know char mr sandford is just as safe as i he will never tell and the dark eyes looked for one moment at the man whom in her excitement and forgetfulness she had almost called by his christian name and who in response to the call and the look went to her side and laying his hand upon her head said solemnly as heaven is my witness what i have heard here to-night shall never pass my lips pressing his hand for an instant upon hannah's bowed head he withdrew it but stayed at her side until the recital was ended and the old man who was sinking fast said to him in a faint whisper you know all now and why i could not join the church it was too late to tell the world of my guilt god knew it i believe he has baptized me with his holy spirit do you think that as his minister you can pray for my departing soul yes yes the clergyman replied and falling upon his knees for he saw in the pinched face the look he could not mistake he began the prayer for the dying one who whispered faintly that is good very good and now hannah the lord's prayer once more it is the last we have said it many times together you and i when the night was blackest and we could think of nothing else where are you hannah he added in a tone of alarm as if he had lost her it is growing dark and i cannot see 
you must not leave me now we have kept together so long i am here father with my arm around your neck and i am kissing your dear face hannah said and then bending over she commenced the prayer they had so often said together when no other words would come faintly the old man's voice joined hers and that of the clergyman and only burton was silent he could not pray but sat silent while his father whispered at short intervals forgive yes that's the good word and i am forgiven i feel it i know it salvation is sure even for me and in heaven i shall wait and watch for you hannah the best and truest daughter a man ever had oh god bless my hannah and grant that some joy some happiness may come to her when i am gone and gray the baby gray oh bless him too with every needful blessing the baby gray whose little hands took the stain the smart from mine my gray whom i love so much and burton too hannah suggested as her father ceased speaking without mentioning his son yes he replied rousing a little and burton my son god bless him but he is not like you hannah nor like gray he could not forgive as you have he will never forgive me and yet he is very just very good very respectable and the honourable burton gerald of boston tell him good-bye and god bless him from me the murderer those were the last words he ever spoke for though he lingered for some hours it was in a kind of stupor from which they could not rouse him seeing that he could be of no further service and remembering the careful martha who he knew was sitting up for him armed with reproaches for the lateness of the hour and various medicines as preventatives for the cold he was sure to have taken mr sandford signified his intention to return home and insisted that the boy sam should not be awakened to drive him there the storm had ceased the moon had come out and he greatly preferred the walk he said even if the snow was deep there were curious thoughts crowding in the brain of the grave quiet man tumultuous thoughts which spanned a score of years and brought with them keen joy as well as a bitter pain he was standing before the kitchen fire with hannah near him holding the warm muffler he was to tie around his neck regarding her fixedly for a moment he said addressing her by the old pet name which had once been so familiar to him hanny that is why you said no to me that summer night when we walked together under the chestnut trees and i felt that you had broken my heart any one who saw hannah gerald at that moment would have called her beautiful with the sudden light which shone in her dark eyes the bright colour which came to her cheeks and the softness which spread itself all over her upturned face as she answered promptly and still very modestly yes charlie that was the reason for an instant these two whom a cruel fate had separated looked into each other's eyes with a look in which the love of twenty years was embodied then involuntarily the hands clasped and the man and the woman who had walked together under the chestnut trees twenty years ago kissed each other for the first time in their lives she feeling that on her part there was nothing unwomanly nothing wrong in the act and he feeling that on his part there was not the shadow of infidelity to the woman who bore his name and looked so carefully after his welfare the one was his wife whom he respected greatly and to whose wishes he sacrificed every wish of his own when he could conscientiously do so the other was the woman he had loved in the long ago 
and whose no spoken so decidedly and with no explanation except that it must be had sent him from her with a heartache from which he now knew he had never fully recovered twelve years after that summer the memory of which was still half joy half pain he had married miss martha adams of cambridge because a mutual friend had told him he ought to do so that a bachelor clergyman was never as useful as a married one and that miss martha a maiden lady of thirty-five was eminently fitted to fulfil the duties of a rector's wife for she came from a long line of clergy and for years had run the sunday school and the sewing society and the church generally in the parish to which she belonged added to this she had some money and excellent health two good things in a minister's wife as everybody knew mr sandford promised his friend to think about it and then one afternoon walked across the fields to the house among the rocks and looked again at hannah who was twelve years older and graver and quieter than when she won the love of his young manhood but there was something inexpressibly sweet in the pale sad face and the large dark eyes thrilled him as they did of old so that he found his longing for her greater if possible than ever but when he said to her annie have you ever regretted your answer to me and she replied no never he turned away and walking back across the fields to his own home wrote to his friend in walpole signifying his readiness to be introduced to miss martha adams the result of this was that martha had been his wife for nearly eight years and ruled him with a rod of iron which she however sometimes covered so that he did not feel it quite so much as he might otherwise have done but it pressed heavily now as in the clear cold night he walked slowly home through the deep untrodden snow which he scarcely minded so intent were his thoughts upon the past and what might have been alas for the many hearts aching in secret and sending backward vain regrets for what might have been what should have been but what can never be and if sometimes the heart thus wrung cries out with a great cry for the happiness it has missed is there disloyalty to him or her who stands where another should have stood god only knows and he is far more merciful and ready to forgive his erring children than are they to forgive each other and he must have pitied the man who with a thought of hannah thrilling every fibre of his heart went back to the home where martha was waiting impatiently for him with words of chiding upon her lips he knew it would be so knew she would sit up for him until morning if necessary and knew too that in all probability bowls of herb tea and a hot foot-bath awaited him for martha was careful of his health and sometimes oppressive with her attentions and he sighed as he drew near his home and saw the light and thought oh if she would only go to bed and leave me alone awhile and not make me talk but she was up and waiting for him in her purple flannel dressing-gown which did not improve her ruddy complexion and a frown on her face which deepened into a scowl as he came in and she saw the condition of his boots and the lower part of his pants charles sandford she began do you mean to say you walked and do you know what time it is yes martha he answered meekly it is very late but i could not help it and i insisted upon walking rather than have the tired sleeping boy come out in the cold i needed the exercise i am not cold but you have taken cold you needn't tell me and i've got the water ready for a foot-bath and some hot boneset tea how did you leave mr gerald and did he take the sacrament at last she said and he replied no he did not he but before he could say more she burst out with growing irritability not take it why then did he send for you on such a night and why did you stay so long 
she was pouring the boiling water into the foot-tub in which she had put a preparation of mustard and prickly ash and red pepper which she kept on hand for extreme cases like this and the odour of the steam made him sick and faint as grasping the mantle he replied he wished me to pray with him he will not live till morning please don't talk to me any more i am more tired than i thought and something makes me very sick he was as white as ashes and with all her better softer nature roused for martha was at heart a very good woman she helped him to a chair and bathed his head in alcohol and rubbed his hands and did not question him again but she made him swallow the herb tea and she kept on talking herself wondering what hannah would do after her father was gone would she stay there alone or live with her brother most likely the former as mrs gerald would never have her in her family and really one could not blame her hannah was so peculiar and queer pity was that she had never married an old maid was always in the way and then mrs martha as if bent on torturing her husband to whom every word was a stab wondered if any man ever had wanted hannah gerald for his wife and asked her husband if he had ever heard of any such thing i should not be likely to know it he replied for until you came i never heard any gossip there was an implied rebuke in this answer and it silenced mrs martha who said no more of hannah but as soon as possible got her lord to bed with a soapstone at his feet and a blanket wrapped around him in order to make him sweat and break up the cold she was certain he had taken meanwhile at the farmhouse burton and his sister were standing together near the kitchen fire where poor gray had stood two hours before and heard what changed the colouring of his whole life they were speaking of him and what they said was if it were only myself i might bear it burton said though life can never be to me again what it has been and i shall think like cain that the sin is branded on me and i was so proud and stood so high and meant to make the name of gerald so honourable a name that gray and his children would rejoice that they bore it of course gray will never know but i shall and that will make a difference hannah he added quickly struck by something in her face what did you mean or rather what did father mean by your making restitution to the peddler's friends what is there to restore in his recital of his crime the old man had omitted to speak of the money and the will or at most he had touched so lightly upon them that it had escaped the notice of his son whose mind was wholly absorbed in one idea and that of the body buried under the floor within a few feet of him hannah explained to him what her father meant and told him of the box and the gold to which she had every year added the interest compound interest too so that the amount had more than quadrupled and she had found it necessary to have another and larger box in which to keep the treasure that is why i have so often asked you to change bills into gold for me she said paper might depreciate in value or the banks go down but gold is gold everywhere and i have tried so hard to earn or save the interest denying myself many things which i should have enjoyed as well as most women and getting for myself the reputation of closeness and even stinginess which i did not deserve i had to be economical with myself to meet my payments which increased as the years went on until they are so large that sometimes i have not been able to put the hole in the box at the end of the year and i am behindhand now but i keep an exact account and shall make it up in time but hannah i used to give you money willingly and would have given you more if you had asked for it i had no idea of this burton said and she replied yes i know you would but i did not like to do it for fear you would think me extravagant and wonder what i did with so much not a penny you gave us ever went into the box that was my matter not yours and i have worked so hard to do it 
her father was not able to look after the farm which of itself is poor and barren and as he was only willing to hire a boy i have done a man's work myself at times you hannah you burton said gazing at the pale-faced frail-looking woman who had done the work of a man rather than ask money of him who sometimes spent more on one large party than she did in a whole year and who said to him with a sad smile yes i have spaded the garden and planted the corn in the field back of the hill where no one could see me and have helped sam get in the hay though i never attempted to mow but i did lay up a bit of stone wall which had tumbled down i have done what i could poor hannah no wonder that her hands once so small and shapely were broad and hard and rough and not much like mrs geraldine's on which there were diamonds enough to more than liquidate the debt due to elizabeth rogers and her heirs and no wonder that her dress which so often offended her brother's artistic and critical eye was coarse and plain and selected with a view to durability rather than comeliness she had done what she could and what few women would have done and burton knew it and was conscious of a great feeling of respect and pity if not affection for her as she stood before him in a stooping posture with her toil-worn hands clasped together as if asking his pardon for having intruded her own joyless life upon his notice but above every other feeling in his heart was the horrible fear of exposure if she attempted restitution and he said to her at last i am sorry for you hannah and i can understand how with your extreme conscientiousness you believed it your duty to do as you have done but this must go no further to discover elizabeth rogers is to confess ourselves the children of a murderer and this i cannot allow you have no right to visit father's sin upon gray who would be sure to find it out if you stirred in the matter he is sensitive very and proud of his name it would kill him to know what we do no brother it would hurt him but not kill him hannah said with energy and ever since he was a little child i have depended upon him to comfort me to help me as i knew he would when he was older and something tells me he will find the heirs i do not mean to tell him until he is a man able to understand hannah and there was fierce anger in the voice you are not my sister if you ever dare tell gray this thing or hint it to him in any way he must never know it both for his own sake and mine i could not even look at him without shame if he knew what my father was you have kept it thirty-one years keep it thirty-one longer and as you vowed secrecy to my father so swear to me solemnly as you hope for heaven never to tell gray or any one he had seized her wrist and held it so tightly that she winced with pain as she cried out oh burton i cannot i must restore the money and the will stuff and nonsense he repeated growing more and more excited that woman is dead before this and her heirs if she had any scattered to the winds people never miss what they never had and they will not miss this paltry sum promise me that you will drop this insane idea of restitution and never reveal what you know even after geraldine and i are dead should you outlive us both think of the disgrace to the greys and so worried and worn and half crazed with fatigue and excitement hannah bound herself again and had not gray already known the secret elizabeth rogers heirs would never have heard of the tin box in the chimney from which place hannah brought it at last to show the contents to her brother who perfectly sure that she would keep her word could calmly examine the will and scan the features of the young girl upon the ivory she is very lovely he said though evidently she belongs to the working class her dress indicates as much but whoever she is or was she is not like this now she is old or dead 
put it back in the box hannah and if ever you accidentally find to a certainty where the original is or her heirs send the will and the money to her from boston or new york and she will thus get her own without knowing where it came from this was rather a lame way to make restitution but hannah seized upon it as something feasible and felt in a measure comforted she would herself go to europe some time and hunt up the roger heirs so cautiously that no suspicion could attach to her and then having found them she would send them the will and the money she was hoarding for them this was a ray of hope amid the darkness the straw to which she clung and the future did not seem quite so cheerless even when a few hours later she stood with her brother by the side of her dead father who had died without a struggle or sigh just as the chill morning was breaking in the east and giving promise of a fairer day than the previous one had been End of chapters thirteen and fourteen